Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science. How are you doing, Will? Hey, Gordon. Doing well. How are you, sir? I am doing well. We just finished uh, spring break and got yeah. back from the Oregon coast, and uh, that was wonderful. That's what you got do. Got to do some beach combing, tide pooling, uh, went to the Hatfield Science Center and got to see some, you know, petting pools, sort of indoor oh, tide nice. pools with uh, sea urchins, sea cucumbers, uh, a lot of uh, echinoderms, which awesome. we talked about. And, yeah. and you, you went up to... Alaska. Went up to the Kenai Peninsula. Yeah, you go to the coast. What do you do if you're an inlander on spring break? You go to the coast. And so we headed up, Liz and I, and uh, the littlest headed up to work with some uh, some neat folks up there on the Kenai that are uh, have a smaller startup, a school, and um, just spent time with them, spent time uh, getting to know a, a fisheries biologist who'd been with Alaska Fishing Game for a long time. And we scored some pink salmon for dissections from him. And and That's then did great. a little of our own beach combing along some of those mud flats. There's a lot more ice up against the yeah, beach. Yeah, I bet. Uh, up there. Breakup yeah. was happening. But I did see something really cool. Um, there's a The Kenai River is mostly broken up uh, downstream. But there's a few big chunks of ice moving downstream. And there's one big chunk of ice that came by. And five mallards just sitting on that iceberg ice. sleeping. That's just hilarious. happy, <laughs> happy as can be. Not, mallards are very versatile. They are. Yeah, they are all over the place. <laughs> they can make they can make do with a little. They yep. they're really yep. impressive. Yep. Well, this uh this is an interesting topic we're going to broach today, and we're going to keep it a little bit small and and concise today. But we'll probably turn this into a two or three parter. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a phenomenon that we observe all the time, especially at say maybe a family reunion. Mm-hmm. And you look around and and uh, and you see people that have similarities to each other, and you right. see multiple generations, grandparents and and their kids and their kids, uh, with traits that you know that definitely that kid over there, he's definitely a Jones. I can just right. tell it by the way he walks it's, and the shape of his head. Right, <laughs> right, and and sometimes it's hard to pinpoint, but you just something about their face, and it's not exactly the nose or the mouth it's sort of the combination and everything and uh and we do that a lot when somebody has a you know uh a new child and we look at the child sometimes when the baby's brand new i mean some people say oh it's just like mom or a little just creativity like, in there yeah, the emotion like, makes i'm a little dubious a but um <laughs> you know because, because the babies are i mean yeah especially if you have baby pictures of the mom or dad you can compare baby to baby right. but um you know sometimes those features are a little a little uh, amorphous a little amorphous <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's unkind they're yeah. not distinct yet yeah, they're not super distinct <laughs> you know when they're right out of the shoot yeah exactly exactly <laughs> no and you know dog breeders know this anyone who raises animals know that knows this and kind of the way we're going today, we're we're going to be focusing on a, a single individual um, who who greatly um, pushed forward our understanding of inheritance. Yes, um, I mean he's spending he's... time with plants, raising plants and animals, gives you such key insights into how God's creation yeah. works. Yeah, uh, and and inheritance, of course, is a big part of that. Yeah, and so who was this uh, amazing fellow this... that that um, really was the father of? Um, our modern understanding of genetics. We've come a long way and we've, we, we've learned a lot more, but 
he really got the ball rolling. He's really legendary status kind yeah, of Yeah, I guy. mean, he's in every every biology textbook. He even has even has the the field or the subfield named after him. So, we're talking about Gregor Mendel. Yes, Gregor Mendel. Yeah. And when we talk about genetics with regard to what he discovered, it's called Mendelian genetics. That's right. Kind of classical genetics. Cla- yeah, classical genetics of um and really Gregor uh lucked out because the traits that he studied in his pea plants were, as you said, dichotomous. Yeah. Um, they, there was sort of, for each trait, there was basically two, two versions, options. Two options. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Gregor. Yeah. Uh, give us the context on I this mean, guy. Yeah. And, and add to it. We'll um, do. Uh, Gregor Mendel was, uh, we're not sure, friar or monk, but he was in, uh, in an August, he was in the, Augustinian, um, that order, uh, that order. Yeah. And, uh, he grew up in, as a farm kid in the, what is present day Czech Republic. And, uh, so he was very familiar with breeding of crops and, um, beekeeping. Uh, he was a, a smart person. I don't know exactly what his personality was like, but I assume he was probably quiet and thoughtful and meticulous. Um, but again, I don't know. He, he may have been, uh, outgoing. I don't, I haven't researched his personality, but he went to the university of Olamak. I'm not sure how you pronounce that and was studied, uh, in the department of physics and philosophy. Wow. So, but again, physics, philosophy, those terms meant different things back then. It may not have been just um, mechanical physics. Physics could have a broader, um, a broader meaning. Gotcha. But I, again, I'm not sure how they diced up their, um, uh, disciplines. Yeah. No, there's exactly. so many, so many little legends going along with the story of Gregor. Uh, the store, some of the stories I've heard, he was, um, he was very perseverant. Uh, he, he actually attempted to, to pass the teaching exam twice and failed. Wow. Uh, both times. And the second time, the story goes that he, f- uh, one of the critiques of his attempt to pass was that he showed too much original thought. Oh, man. Um, and so, which fits <laughs> with what we're going to talk about next. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if he was a, a capable teacher or not. I think God gifts most parents to be able to be good teachers. I, I, I don't know if ev- Gregor uh, probably didn't end up having a family as he was a monk, but, um, or in the Augustinian order. Um, but he had a lot of gifts and one of those great gifts was, uh, and trainings was in mathematics. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the interesting things to me is over the course of the development of, of kind of modern biology and kind of natural history and natural philosophy, eventually, uh, kind of, uh, delineating out into, into biology proper and some other fields, um, mathematics really weren't employed greatly in the fields of natural history or natural right. philosophy until this guy. Mm-hmm. He used mathematical uh, formulas uh, to explain the patterns that he saw in nature. Mm-hmm. So that's one of his major contributions. Right. And so Mendel, as you, as you said, he kind of lucked out. He he studied and he had time. Um, I, my sources have, have said that he was a friar, which meant he had time to do some academic research and, and some teaching. He, he actually was allowed to teach, um, but he loved 
He loved time outdoors and he loved time studying how living things uh, grow and reproduce. And he was particularly interested in how these traits he observed, uh, whether it was flower color or pea shape, how, what proportion or how did these get passed on? Yeah. He was kind of interested in the how. Yeah. And I think God blessed him in the sense that uh, the traits were um, not mystifying because some, some of the traits that we see today, like hair color, eye color, are um, they are determined by multiple genes. Right. Uh, it's called polygenic inheritance. And that's uh, much more uh, much more complicated. But in his, the traits that he observed in pea plants, it was very clear cut, purple flower, white flower, tall plant, short plant. And, um, you know, this is at a time in the 1800s where they didn't know what the genetic material was. They didn't know DNA. They didn't know what a chromosome was. Neither yeah. did, neither did Gregor. Um, what he could do is observe um, the inheritance of these visible traits. Yep. And sometimes uh, he knew that something was invisible that was passed on, but it was still there. Yeah. And, and that was, uh, some of you have had or recall the uh, your learning in genetics way back in high school, say, or maybe just recently, depending on your age, is that... Um, we have symbolized, and I don't know what Gregor did. Did he symbolize them with uh, letters? A lot of stuff was in, uh, we've we've added, like the Punnett squares was added later. Right. Um, by Reginald C. Punnett. Yeah. Uh, and he, <laughs> it was graphical representation of how you can combine these traits graphically. But like, for example... He would always start his breeding experiments, and this is another thing about his personality. He would uh, make sure that he have purebred lines of tall plants or short plants, yep, and um, or purple purebred purple plant, purple flowered plants, and purebred white flowered plants, so that he knew that in the white flowers there was no other gene rattling around, and in the purple flowered plants, no white genes rattling around in there it was they were pure yep. uh, regarding the traits that he was analyzing yep and then he would he would uh cross them and this required patience he meticulous attention to detail uh meticulous pollination making sure that this flower pollinated that flower and if you know a little bit about the reproduction in uh plants the pollen uh, has the sperm inside, and inside the pistil of the flower is uh, inside that ovary. There are ovules. Inside the ovules, there's eggs, uh, one egg per ovule, and so uh, he he had to know how plants reproduced in order to to make sure that the sperm and the egg would would get together from one group of purebred peas to, to another the other. group. Right. And, and, and how much more and, difficult in plants than, than in animals? You know, the animals will, will take, will take that bull and you take the, that heifer and you put them in the enclosure together and you don't and, have any possibility of cross pollination or, right. or, or this sperm cell floating right. in from outer space somewhere. 
in plants, you've got to remove those extra flower parts from any, uh, to, make to, sure. to avoid any yeah, possible the, contamination. contamination. Yeah. Yeah. And he had to, you know, in the cross, he couldn't just get results overnight. Yep. You know, he had to wait and, um, you know, he'd get the, the offspring, the pollen would, uh, the sperm would fertilize the egg, but then it would grow up into a pea. And the pea is the embryo of the plant. And then he'd have to plant that pea and then it would have to germinate and grow up. And then finally, after it grew up over the season, he could look at the traits. So this required a lot of patience. It really does. Um, Two generations needed to pass to really start collecting data. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So And he discovered some amazing things. Yeah. And one of the most amazing things he discovered, maybe the maybe the most most amazing thing or the most um I guess important thing for our understanding of how inheritance works is he he uh, he uncovered this the first known inheritance pattern, which we would you call it Mendelian inheritance pattern. Um, but to to get more into the details, it, it it's what we call a dominant recessive right. inheritance pattern. And so he took that purple flowered pea plant, he took that white uh, flowered pea plant, he crossed them, got the seeds, and grew those seeds. And lo and behold, all of the offspring had purple flowers. Oh my goodness! Wow. You know, and sometimes we think genes are like paint. You know, you take purple and white paint and you mix them. And then now it's very light purple or yeah. a lilac colored rather than a darker purple. But genes are, genes are generally not like that. You've got this dominant gene, which happened to be the purple allele. The allele is just an alternative form of the same gene. So you had the purple allele and the white allele. And it turned out the purple was dominant. So when they came together and you had a hybrid or the geneticists say they are called heterozygotes. Yeah. A heterozygote is just a fancy way of saying a hybrid. Um, it, was, it was all purple. The wasn't, white seemed it wasn't, to disappear. It wasn't light purple. The white, the white allele was sort of somehow masked. In other words, the dominant gene had its way. Yeah. And the recessive gene didn't get its way. I mean, it's kind of like people. You can have a dominant person and a recessive person. And when they're together, you only hear the, you only hear the dominant person doing all the talking. And you go, well, how do you get the recessive person to do some talking? Well, you get them with another recessive person. That's right. And then they can talk. <laughs> but once there's a dominant person in the room, there's no, you know, the recessive is uh, sort of uh, masked. Masked. And that's, that's right. what happens with these dominant genes. They mask the recessive gene. But the recessive gene is still it's there. It's still there. It's still there. And so he observed this phenomenon in all of these traits, at least eight traits he was measuring right. and studying. And we call these dichotomous traits. Um, there's two forms, two options. And. In every single case, one appeared to be dominant and right. one appeared to disappear. Right. And so it was uh, recessive. But then, you know, after he crossed that parental, the parental generation, which are two purebreds. Yes. He would get 100% of the offspring would be purple flowered. We're just talking about one trait here. Yeah. And then he would take the purple flowered offspring, which are not purebred anymore. They were right. They're they hybrids. Were hybrids. So that white gene is in there. And then if he crossed the hybrids uh, and crossed them with each other, the right. two hybrids, 
the um, most of the offspring in that that next generation would be purple flowered, but a, a percentage, yeah, twenty five percent, just about twenty five percent, would be white flowered. And amazing. It was, and it was it's amazing because that shows you that genes are not like paint; they keep their identity. They may be hidden. They skip a generation. That's why we see sometimes, although. Human traits are generally more complicated. You'll see sometimes you'll have a grandparent with red hair, and then the kids don't have, maybe the son or daughter doesn't have red hair, but then the grandkids might have red hair. Yeah. And pop that gene up, pops to the surface yeah. again, depending on how the genes combine in that next generation. So when you had these two purple flowers, they look just like mom and dad. But they're the offspring. And then when they have the grandkids, you might think, are you crossing the children? Yeah. And it's not incest in plants. That's right. A lot of, a lot of plants will self-pollinate. Yeah. Self-pollinate. And, then, and, and the interesting thing about pea plants is that you don't have a mommy pea plant and a daddy pea plant. The, the, right. um, the peas, uh, a pea flower has got both male and female parts. Right. So. Is um, that dioecious? That means uh, monaceous, yeah, monaceous, meaning monaceous. one house. Okay, so monaceous, yeah, they have. You got both sexes, male and female. Um, both, yeah, both, both genders in the same plant, and then they cross them, and then you get this twenty-five percent. Now, since we don't, this is a podcast, not a television show. We cannot show you uh, graphically what's going on, so you have to just get get a textbook or you know, write in the dance textbook a little. Book, oh, yeah. Great, plug. great chapter. Great book. chapter. Uh, I use it in my classroom. Great chapter. And a couple follow-up chapters that bring us up to date on more on uh, more complicated inheritance patterns as well. But this is this is a classic Mendelian inheritance pattern. In that third generation, you have a three to one ratio of the dominant um, the dominant trait being expressed, purple, and then the 25 percent. Uh, recessive, the white, um, what we call the phenotype being right. expressed. And it was the same for all these traits. Of course, it wasn't, uh, of course, it wasn't exactly 25%. Right. He counted up all of these over time, right. but as more time went on and as he m collected more data, it, it really got, approaches 25%. Right. It's never exact, but like flipping coins, if you flip a few coins, you might just get, uh, you know, uh, not always 50% heads, 50% tails. But if you keep flipping for hundreds, thousands of times, yep. the more you flip, the more you'll get close to 50-50. And it was the same with this. The more he crossed, the more it would approach these mathematical ratios of three to one, or 75% purple flowered, 25% white flowered. And the reason they it would get white flowers is occasionally when... when um, the genes were being, um, uh, which genes are kind of like playing cards. And in meiosis, when you, when the parents are making sperm and egg, um, the genes are dealt out like mm -hmm. cards. And then, um, certain sperm get certain cards and certain eggs get other cards. And, and then they, when they fertilize each other, the, the playing cards come together. Make that full deck. And, and so when you get this smaller percentage of white flowers, it means that some of the sperm had the white flower gene 
and some of the eggs had white flower genes. Yep. And anytime the white flower genes came together, when the sperm carrying the white gene and the egg carrying the white gene, when they got together, they made a white flower. But anytime you had like two purple flower genes in it, it was purple. Anytime you had a purple and a white, it was purple. And so you had mostly purple. Yeah. But occasionally you would get the, uh, or 20, roughly 25% of the time, you get white. It's a really helpful. And that was a simple. Yeah, relatively simple, but a wonderful example of how probability works in, mm-hmm. in, in how, how we can use it to predict uh, outcomes in inheritance. And of course, we know that probability doesn't reflect reality perfectly. It's just like, you, you know, every time of, uh, every time a family has a new baby, there's a 50% chance it's going to be a boy. There's a 50% chance it's going to be a girl. Right. But how many families do we know where it's not all an even split? All boys or all and, girls. Yeah. yeah, it's not an even split. And it's the same way with flipping coins. It's like sometimes you might flip and it's three, four heads. In a row. Yep. And it doesn't mean, um, but the more you flip, the more, um, yeah, when you look at all of the population, right. you're getting more like 50-50. But uh, yeah, um, it may seem like, oh, no, we're going to only have boys. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a coin flip. And, it's a coin flip. Yeah. And uh, this, is, this is just- Well, an... it's also providential too. <laughs> well, amen. Yeah. So God, God <laughs> uses, God, a... <laughs> God's providence works in, in uh, probability. Um, <laughs> you know, God is sovereign over all of your statistics. <laughs> amen. And, and when we've got these statistical um, patterns that we see, God is still um, sovereign over those. Yeah. So, I mean, this, I, th- I think this was the, the advent of of a statistical uh, 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 biology mm-hmm. uh, was Mendel's work, and so you know this is classical Mendelian genetics. This is just one inheritance pattern: the dominant recessive inheritance pattern, the Mendelian inheritance pattern. It's just one, yeah. and it happens to be the one that that was simplest to un- understand. And right. so we often start with that, right. and then use that as our basis of, for, for trying to investigate and understand more complicated patterns. Right. Which we will save for next. Which we'll save for next time. Yeah, that'll be great. Good stuff, Gordon. All right, we'll see you, Will. See you next next time. time. All right. For part two of Mendelian Genetics. (laughs) See ya. Thank you for listening. And remember, for all your homeschool science needs, go to noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com.